you know, homogenous areas can be very brutal. The reason I like diverse schools is because people kind of soften and they're more tolerant when they're around. If they can get along, they're around different groups. There's a tolerance yeah. for difference. But I feel like in homogenous places, people can be, when you're a little different, you can get yeah. punished for it. And, you know, yeah. my name was Muhammad Bilal. I was the only Muslim kid with a funny name, and I wasn't embraced then. You know, yeah. Wesley Snipes made dark cool. So I was kind of too dark, and I'm not even that dark today now. I wish I was darker <laughs> now, right? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So, like, all of that stuff, like, the way I look at myself, even though people, women to say, oh, you're handsome, I still kind of... Those formative years, brother, are really important because like the picture, yeah. the self-perception you have as a kid, a lot of that stuff stays with you. And I'm, I'm speaking cool. for myself and others I talk to as a grown yeah. man. So that's why I was curious. Like, do you feel like that started, yeah. you know, and even the image stuff, the images we see, even mm. within our own community, what's attractive, right? We're more mm. open now. But if you grew up in the 80s and 90s. Yeah. Yeah. It was the I'll be sure looking dude who was <laughs> <laughs> not a locks of cool. That wasn't cool in the beginning of the 80s and 90s. You know what I mean? Oh, so there's some shifts. Man. So even though things have shifted, we still had those scars of stuff we was told when we were very sensitive. Mm. Before oh, we knew man. how to put the wall up. Before we knew how to put that wall up. Welcome to the Taking Off the Mask podcast. My name is Ashanti Branch, and I'm so glad you've joined us. Man, today's conversation is with Muhammad Bilal. Um, Muhammad's a filmmaker, an educator. He's worked in the administration, like in schools and teacher as a teacher. I just wanted you to know, uh, in this conversation, uh, this is we're going to talk about mental health, and we're going to talk about men in mental health. We're going to talk about black men in mental health. We're going to talk about intersection of those things and what's happening with our young men in our communities. Man, what a powerful conversation. Uh, I first learned about uh, Muhammad's work um, in a film called The Blue Cave. Uh, I saw the post on Instagram, I think, and I began to follow his work. And he has a new film coming out called Perdido. Perdido. And I think that there's some rules in our community, depending on where you grew up, what you believe about mental health and mental wellness and mental illness, you may have, you may not talk about it. You may believe that you should definitely talk about it. Whatever end of the spectrum you're on, or maybe you're like, you want to talk about it, but no one around you gives you room to talk about it. I want you to know that you're not alone. But hopefully in this conversation, you will begin hearing just two men right, talk about how much those things. And he asked me a question at one point, like, Hey, let me ask you about your early childhood. Like what happened? And man, what a beautiful opportunity to begin sharing and to have him ask me a question. As you know, this is not an interview, but these questions are really curiosities that we have about each other and knowing that we can't tell what somebody's going through on the outside. We can't see what's happening behind that smile or that whatever that the the resting face that they have. I think that this is a conversation that's so needed in our communities. And I hope that when this film comes out, we will, you know, vision is how we're going to bring Bilal over. I mean, Muhammad Bilal to our, to Oakland to come here and let the film be seen here. And how do we help grow that movement? Because these conversations have to happen. And whether our young people are doing well academically or poor academically, either way, how are they doing socially? How are they doing emotionally? And yes, there's a lot of people out there trying to pack in social emotional with some other stuff. But let me just be really clear. Let me just like help dispel any myths. Anyone out there who is trying to say we shouldn't teach our kids social emotional support and learning and development. They're going to learn it one way or the other. They're either going to learn how to observe and be mindful and careful and thoughtful about people around them in the free world or they're going to do it somewhere else because guess what? It's all part of us being citizens with each other. It's all about being human and connected. And what I'm really excited about in these conversations is that we get a chance to dig and peel back some of the layers. And I've been doing my best not to get into these political talks that people talk about and I'm do my best continually, but I'm also no longer going to sit back and just watch 
people hurt our kids and our communities because they have not yet done their own work. That's part of our work in this million mask movement. That's part of our work in this taking off the mask movement. So we thank you for listening. Thank you for being a part of this episode and this show. Thank you for sharing, liking, rating, for telling people about it. And if you know anyone that you think we should talk to, please let us know. If you haven't yet made a mask, I invite you to go do that now at millionmasks.org. And guess what? The the site is going to be changing in about three weeks. So if you haven't seen it, go see it now so you can see what it looks like now. In about three weeks, there's going to be some transitions and some transformations on our millionmass.org site. There's some things that are growing in this work right now. We invite you to be a part of it. Don't just sit back and watch, but be a part. And we hope that you tell somebody about it too. So thank you so much, folks. Please enjoy this episode with Muhammad Bilal, filmmaker, educator, teacher, a brother, and now a man who we just had a chance to get to know a little bit better. Take care, everybody. Be well. See you soon. Brother Muhammad, uh, good to have you on the Taking Out the Mask podcast. Welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Man, you know, we like our guests to introduce themselves. So if you just tell folks what you want them to know about you, and uh, and then we'll jump right in. Okay, uh, I'm, I'm Muhammad Bilal. I'm from Chicago. I'm an emerging filmmaker. I just finished the MFA in film in 2020. So I'm new to the game of uh, making filmmaking or to the craft, I, I, I should say. Uh, prior to being a filmmaker, I spent the last 20 or so of my years working in education. So I'm still an educator also. I do education consultant work in the inner cities. I'm in uh, New York City right now, and uh, I'm a filmmaker. So I just started my own production company, and I'm trying to really make films that focus on issues that, are fo- that affect people in the inner city, in the inner cities, I should say. Nice. And I, and, and I just want to let folks know, I learned about your work uh, when I, on Instagram, when I learned about the film, the blue cave mm-hmm. and, um, and I, I saw a clip, um, and it was, uh, it just, it, it just grabbed me. It grabbed me. And I started just really following your work. Um, can, we'll, we'll probably get into that in a little while. You know, this conversation is, I'm not going to interview you. I'm not going to like drill you with a bunch of questions. I really want us to just get to know each other, which is our goal for this is, and I know your new film that's, are you talking much about the new film? Should I not mention that? Should I should no, I you can that? talk about it. I mean, oh, okay. we, we just we, we just closed out crowdfunding today, so <laughs> been talking about it quite a bit. <laughs> right on. Well, I know the new film um, Perdido, right? Perdido, yep. right? Yep. Is is about the about mental illness and how this uh, pressure of masculinity, definitely among black men, I, the part that I the part that resonated with me. It makes it hard for us to talk about it. It makes it hard for us to acknowledge it, get support, get help. Or in the most extreme, we're pretending that it doesn't happen or it's not happening. And um, I'm, I'm super excited about it. I, w- I was actually going to come and do one of the cameos. I was going to come and do a do a, a test run. And I was like, how am I going <laughs> to do that? I can't. I'm not going to fit that in my schedule. How am I going to do that? But I was <laughs> I was tempted, man. I was tempted. Uh, but I appreciate you, the work you're doing, man. Yeah. Uh, so that film, I mean, if you watch The Blue Cave, we focus on a boy who went through abuse from when he was a young boy all the way up through almost the end of his adolescence. And he was able to overcome the abuse. But a lot of questions I got from people was, well, what happens to him as a man? It's clear he's going to be successful because he's a very intelligent young man. But a lot of people's like, what about the wounds, you know? the ones we don't see, the mental and emotional scars he has. So for me, the next film I wanted to make was dealing with how a lot of black men deal with trauma, you know, especially with the stigma around mental health. A lot of us simply were taught that it's more manly to not go to a therapist. It's more manly to keep it to yourself. It's more manly to be tough. And what it causes is a lot of us to just suffer in silence. So I wanted to look at how that impacts us how we're triggered by certain things, how a lot of us are one trigger away from, you know, experience, experiencing a panic attack or PTSD. What impact does that have on our, our wife, right? Because um, a lot of black women would say, well, what about the black women? And I said, well, if a black man is going through it, he has, 85% of us have a black woman. So she's being affected by that also. 
so is his kids, so is the rest of the family. So I really wanted to take a dive into what, how black men are affected by the stigma on mental health. Uh, how does hiding mental illness affects their life and our aspects? And what is it like? I really wanted to demystify what, it, what it's like to go to a therapist and how that could really help. It could really help you unpack things and help you on that journey. And that's another thing, a journey. Because mental health, it's like taking a shower, right? It's like working out. It's not something you do one time. It's something, your therapy, you're probably gonna be doing it for a long time, for years to, to learn strategies and just to unpack things that, that only a professional probably could help you find strategies to deal with, if you will. Yeah. So the, and in the film, it, it, it just doesn't deal with, it deals with a lot of things too that I was affected by doing COVID. So a big thing I was affected by doing COVID, being trapped in a house, especially in New York City, was police brutality. Just the cycle, the PTSD come, that comes from that. Because through my own research, we learned that uh, you can suffer PTSD not from directly being traumatized. You can mm. also experience it from vicariously Ooh, yeah. seeing, you know, George Floyd cry for his mother, you know, hearing all this stuff about Breonna Taylor. And, you know, we can go down a list of all the people who was affected. So the yeah. film really deals with that heavily and how that impacts us also. You know, who we I know that for sure. I know that when I um, I was in uh, Starbucks, a cafe, uh, when uh, the Philando Castile situation happened and um, the, the murder. And I was uh, and I normally I normally protect myself. I'm like, nah, they usually put a little eye thing over and say, are you sure you want to see this? And I'm like, nah, not right, right. now. I'm doing some work. And one slipped in somehow on something on social media and I clicked it thinking it was. I didn't know what I thought it was. And man, that literally, I literally felt frozen. And literally, as I as I finished watching it, I remember two police officers walking in and I literally felt like I needed to run out of the cafe. But I was like, mm -hmm. if I run, they're going to be like, why is he running? But I literally, I was almost in a moment of like, what's going on in my body right now? Like just watching this man says, hey, I'm letting you know, I got this, you know, I have a weapon, I have a, a license for it. And just to watch the, just that part, I remember it like it was yesterday. And it's been one of those things that it was like, I know that our young people who are seeing way more than we, than I ever saw when I was young, you know, when you go to the movie and you saw some movie like Commando or Rocky or Rambo, you almost knew it was a movie. You're like, oh, look at this, how cool he is, right? But this is another thing that when you watching real live assassinations and murders um yeah and, and i was gonna say with no consequence yeah. so it's like there's no safety yeah these guys are getting suspended with pay or they're getting fired at most but they still go on with their lives so it's like right. what is really the deterrent for That's them right. not to do it if you can do it and just get away with it or go get hired by another police station um and it, and and to that point of seeing this stuff when we was because we have some stuff in the film that captures police brutality. Even as the director watching it, it was affecting me. Even though I knew mm. these were my actors and I, I staged how this would go. And it still was yeah. like, let's take a break. Let's take a time out. And you yeah. can see it on the faces of everybody on set. Like some people were tearing up. Yeah. But in the movie, it yeah, it's meant to be in your face because my filmmaking style, I want you to feel what my main character, Amir Rashad, is feeling. Mm. You know, that's my style. I want you to, this yeah. is what he's going through. And I try to work the camera that way so you could feel what he's feeling from his point of view. So, yeah. you know, it's in the film. So trigger warning, when the film comes out, you'll see some stuff that probably won't sit well with you as far as police brutality goes. Yeah, and it's happening every day. And sadly, before we had to trust that when we told what happened to us or when we, when we, when we reported it, People just, it was word against word. It was like this peace officer against some peasant on the street. <laughs> and now even with recorded evidence, we still don't even get the the honor and respect of our, our bodies mattering and being, um, deserving the respect and as well. So I'm excited. I'm excited. And I'm excited for this phase of it. And I'm glad. And, I, and I've, I've been sharing the, um, the crowdfunding. So, congratulations on the ending of the crowdfunding and and the journey you know, for the we, next piece. 
Yeah, yeah. Thank you for that. Yeah. Because crowdfunding is, is serious. <laughs> <laughs> it is that. It, it takes hard that. work, hard work and praying. <laughs> and man, and some some heavy, some good fingers, some good finger exercise, because a share, like, describe, you know, like that's a, a journey of it too. So I'm I'm excited yeah. for that. Yeah. Well, look, we're we're gonna jump into the mass. You know, most of our opportunity for this conversation is you and I get to know each other a little bit more and and hopefully begin through these conversations to from California here on the east west coast to New York on the east coast to like why can't we have conversations that are, are connected? I think we that's what we want to build in. And so I thank you for being willing to be here today. And uh, the, I guess you can decide, do you want to go first or do you want me to go first um, uh, to I share mean, the I, mask? I can go first. So definitely, okay. you know, the front of the mask for me, the qualities that I'm okay showing that people tend, and I'm okay showing them because people tend to gravitate towards them, right? It makes people smile and... I'm more of a charmer when they see these qualities. Like, you know, people mm. want to come around. Uh, creative, strategic, successful, right? Mm. So when I start something, it, it gets done, right? Yeah. Um, so that's definitely the left side or the, the front of the mask for me. Do you want me to go to the, the back? Well, how do you want to well, do it? You want me to you want me to share my front and then so, how do you, do how front, do you want yeah. to? Okay. Let, let me, yeah, let's do your front. Okay. So I... Um, uh, I have a, I have a picture for you here, and uh, I this is a that's my mask today. That's the mask I drew, and I wrote. You're a good draw. You you you're really good at drawing too. <laughs> <laughs> I, I tell people like I, I I've only recently accepted that I I think I'm a little creative. I, I think in the old days I would have been like I can't draw, but I I enjoy just trying something these days, you know. Uh, and this one is inspired by a young man I saw in Denver. I was at this this place, this interactive art place, and this young man had a fro. I, I think it was probably at least a foot and a half off of his head. And I was, I could never grow a fro. I mean, I have locks, but I could never grow hair up. Right. And yeah. so anyway, this is inspired by some, some, some stranger I never met, but an amazing fro. So <laughs> that's what I drew. <laughs> and I wrote serious, concerned, and caring. Um, and I think uh, concerned is a new word I've wrote. Um, but I think I show people that I'm concerned, that I'm concerned about them. I'm concerned about our community. I'm concerned about what's happening with our youth here in Oakland. Um, we, we had a shooting, we had two shootings so far this, this year. We had one at a middle school and then we had one at a, one of our continuation, um, extended learning schools. And it's, it usually has not been in schools. It's been in the streets a lot, but in schools, yeah, it's a, it's, it's crossing a boundary that I haven't seen crossed in our in our community in a long, long yes, time. Yes, yes, and, and that's interesting you say that because I remember when I was in high school, Columbine happened. That was in yeah. the '90s, right? Yeah, or maybe early. It was I was either in high school still. I had just went to college, but I remember yeah. part of the conversations we had about Columbine is it's interesting that. That's the one place in black and brown communities you don't have shootings at schools, yeah. right? Yeah. But we used yeah. to have the metal detectors. Yeah. And the, the, the white schools didn't have metal detectors, and that's where they were having a lot of shootings. But now it's changing. It's like it's happening at all the schools now, you yeah. know? But yeah. I feel like in the black community, especially inside of schools, there was no shootings. Now, outside yeah. a few blocks away, yeah. You know, but that's across, changing, across so. the street, across the street, maybe. Right. But inside that building, it seemed like there was a, a veil of, OK, this is going to be where we're going to keep safe. And even though that was the, that maybe, was the safe haven, you kind of had yeah. a haven in the school. But now that's, yeah. you know, it's changing. It's changing a lot. It's changing a lot here. And so, um, yeah, serious concern, caring. And I think those are the ones and I think that's even in the, in the eyebrows of this this youngster. Right. Like just. Oh, just feeling that late, feeling that weight, feeling that heaviness and trying to figure out how to support, right? How to support in this city where our young people who, like you just talked about, and I'm glad you just mentioned the PTSD happening vicariously. Like how right. many of those kids who who saw, heard, witnessed, peeked around the corner and noticed are carrying now baggage that they went to school not carrying 
and no one even asked them because they didn't get hurt, they didn't get hit, they didn't get they you know whatever it may be. Like how the hell we know how much is affecting people far from the actual bullet wounds, you know? And um I think oftentimes our schools we are we we try and be somewhat halfway good at helping people who actually are the hurt ones, but we oftentimes ignore the people who are like, what 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 are you dealing with? You 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 weren't there. Why are you feeling? Why are you tripping about this? It, you, it didn't happen to you. You don't know anybody who got shot. Like, why are you worried? Right. And not knowing that that doesn't even matter, you know? No, it doesn't. And that's something that I, I saw when I was researching PTSD and reading all the articles about it, especially when it comes to seeing inescapable images of police brutality. You're experiencing mm. PTSD when you're watching other black people being abused simply because they look like you, because they're black. Right. So you don't have to be in, I think George Floyd was in Milwaukee, was it? I believe Milwaukee. Yeah, Wisconsin. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Milwaukee. Yeah, that is in Wisconsin. Yeah. So you don't have to be there to still, you know, just watching it, hearing about it, seeing it over and over, whether even if you didn't know the person can give you PTSD. Oh, man. You know? Yeah. Yeah. I can only imagine. And I, I like actually the, haven't. I, <laughs> your point with the, the the police i don't i don't i'm not comfortable i hate to say this and i don't have a criminal record N- nothing yeah. against you know people who do cuz everybody yeah. have made mistakes or you know they've done things yeah. in life and i don't think you should hold that against them indefinitely people should be able to recover and be forgiven and live their life um yeah. but when i'm around police still i don't even when they're talking to me there's an uncomfortability i have yeah just from things i've seen even yeah. though I haven't really had any mm. extremely violent, I haven't had any violence against me from the police. I yeah. still feel like I'm an inch or a second away from, even with a nice police officer, mm. even a nice one. Like, you know, yeah. I, I, there's been some really friendly ones. Like when we was making a film, this guy, I don't want to say how he helped us because I don't want to get him in trouble, <laughs> but he was doing things <laughs> to help the film when we were filming that he did not have to do but there yeah. still was a certain uneasiness I had for his badge, his uniform, the gun, based off things I've seen and yeah. what, have I, what I've experienced vicariously through people like George Floyd and others growing up when it comes yeah. to uh, police. And I think that that pressure, I mean, look, when I was a teenager um, in my school, here in Oakland, they taught this course called Street Law, and you learned about what they could ask you for, what they couldn't ask you for. And I was like, I was equipped with knowledge and I was, uh, I, I was, I think I'm smart. So I was a, I was a smart ass. Like they'd be like, "Can we search your car?" I'm like, "No, of course not." They're like, what do you got to hide? I'm like, "I ain't got nothing to hide, but I'm not giving you permission." And I knew the law. Right. Now that used to matter, just knowing the law. Like I wasn't talking rude to them, or I wasn't trying to disrespect them. But I was like, "You're not just gonna search it because you think something's happening." Because I was not doing anything, but I was also like, "Oh, I got, I'm equipped with knowledge now." I feel like I'm, I've been using the word like a coward. I feel like afraid often. Like, you know what I'm saying? If there's lights coming behind me, I'm like, I'm I'm in my mind. My my mind goes into this arrested kind of development. I think the word is right. Like I get like frozen, frozen. They're not even for me. They pass on by, but my heart is still kind of in this pounding mode of just like what happens, right? When, When you are a person who, thinks you have something to say and now not knowing that you can say your own truth or your speak your mind that you have to be like acquiesce or to you know it it feels really awkward in time so yeah man and it's interesting you say that because when i grew up on the south side of chicago i didn't quite understand what rights we had with respect to police until i took the constitution class in eighth grade freedom of speech and all, you know, you heard these things, but then we took a deep dive into it. And I'm like, <laughs> I see people get smacked for accident. You know, they get thrown around and be, and it, it was normal for me as a little boy, seeing older black men get roughed up by the police just for standing on the corner, hmm. you know? So, but even as I got older, I started to see the difference because I went to a high school that was very diverse hmm. and, you know, we get pulled over my white friend, he could say things where I would be like, I would have got my, I would have got beat up for that or killed. <laughs> but he's just have a nice day. They they let the ticket go. I'm looking like, bro, just take the ticket. 
<laughs> and he's getting out the car and yelling, and I'm just like, whoa. So you like get me still, killed. Right, right, exactly. Like he's looking at me. So, you know, <laughs> even though I guess the point I'm making, even though like even when you know your rights, it's almost yeah. like to some police, they don't respect your rights. Your rights don't matter. Mm, yeah. And I feel like for me, with my education now, I'm I'm 42, right? I feel like when nothing happens when they do that, it just reminds me of the history that we know yeah. about where it makes me think about Dred Scott, right? Judge mm-hmm. Taney said, the black man has no right which the white man is bound to respect. Mm-hmm. That's despite the constitution and the rights I know we have. And I think that's still deeply embedded with some police officers, not all, when they deal yeah. with uh, people who look like us. That's right. So like, I know that's I got right. these rights, but what are they gonna do? Are they gonna enforce them against him? Do they value my, me? Or that's right. Is there a devalue devaluation based on me because of my color? You know, that's that's the real or, thing. Or do I have to be killed in order for the va- for the value to for the punishment to happen? Right? If I if I right. let this like I just let it go, nothing happens unless I let him take me out and then prove that he was wrong somehow after post. And, and then right? even if that happens, it's like it has to be the perfect case. You know, I'm glad what happened with George Floyd happened. But what bothered me was like, this is the perfect case. Mm. You know what I mean? Like this happened. It was that gruesome. It it was that clear. Everything had to be perfect, you know? So when we, when an injustice done is done to us, it has to be the perfect case. All the officers had to be in in alignment. Yeah. What he did was wrong. And I still was like, are they really going to do something to this guy? So I feel like if there was just a little deviation and everybody yeah. wasn't on the same page, yeah, that guy probably would be back in the police department. And I think a lot of times hmm, you said it, and a lot of times I think that even parents and family members get upset when their their child, their grandchild, their family member's case doesn't get right rise to a hashtag, right? Because right. sadly, you're in that moment. It's like did all the pieces line up to get the energy flowing to make something because it's happening often <laughs> it's happening right. a lot right? right maybe not at this not all deaths but the brutality like and what happens like it gets swept under the rug and if right. there if there's not enough energy to push people i mean stuff has happened weeks months years ago and people still haven't pulled out the video right because they're they're holding it. They're suppressing it, and all these things. And so, I imagine as we find out what's happening with our young people, because I, I know I think in Oakland right now, our young people are calling out for help, but they're calling for it in such the most unloving of ways, right? They're, they're they need love, they need care, they need support, but they're asking for it in such ways that people want to be further away from them, which is a lot of the robbing and the beating and the breaking in cars and the and the overwhelming sense of violence that. I think there's a quote that says uh, the people who need the most love will probably ask for it in the most unloving of ways. Right. Cause, cause how right. do you know how to ask for it if you've never really known what it looks like? Yeah. 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 Man. Yeah. It's true. Well, it's true. well that's the front when we, 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 we already jumped in, but we, that was the front only. Right. So <laughs> the- how we got the back, right? <laughs> now, now we got to go. To the, so you want to go first? You want to go first? Yeah, the back? I, I, I could do back. I, I think okay. uh, the things that people don't see about me is uh, depression, mm-hmm. depressed, uh, pessimistic. I mean, you could put that with depression, but I could be just very pessimistic, even when I'm mm-hmm. not depressed. Like I'm, I'm, I'm prepared for it not to go right, just because. That's just how it works for me, even if it's unexplained, and uh, perfectionist too. And not in a good way. Like, it's never right. Nah, I gotta, you know, I'm never, like, really content with what I did, even if everybody else is. I'm always like, damn. You know? Mm. So those would definitely be mine. And people don't see that. That's not something, unless you were really close, you would see about me. Depressed, pessimistic, perfectionist. Oh, man. Well, I identify, and I thank you for sharing those. I, 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 I'll read them and then I'll, I'll resonate. The perfectionist one is one that I've been working on a lot, but that's that's a heavy one for me. So uh, worry, doubt, and pressure. Mm. Mm. And uh, 
I think very the, similar. That's funny. Yeah. They're very they're different words, but I feel like that it's the same thing. Yeah. <laughs> it's the same thing. And yeah. I think it's all it all lands under this idea of the perfectionist thing. Like, like I, like when I told you I was gonna come in a, a you know do a I was gonna apply for the one of the roles. Like I think I like want to do some kind of performance stuff, right? I, I make I make some videos on my phone. I think right. I'm saying something that's gonna help people, and then I'll get to home that night and get ready to start posting, and I'm like. Well, I think my my locks are a little bit off right there. My mustache is sticking up a little bit right there. I got like, too many grays that are showing. Like I, I will in the recording. I'm like, this is gonna, this is good. I, this is, even though this is good for me, right? And when I get to the place of like getting ready to put it out in the world, I'm always like, yeah, no. So I, I've had to battle myself with the mm. h- hundreds of videos I've made that are still in my phone sitting there, like. Maybe when I'm gone, somebody's going to show them to the world, right? I'm like, I have to keep telling myself, what, what are you waiting for? Like, right. you made it believing that it was going to help someone, and then you let some aesthetics get in the way. And I think that that is a thing that I have. And I don't think I'm perfect, or I don't think I will ever be perfect. I'm not, but I always hold myself to like, I think I'm more thinking that, yeah, I'm just, it's a worry. It's the worry and doubt. Like, Worry about what people are going to say, doubt that it's any good, pressure to make it as good as someone else. And it's like this competition with myself usually or with some avatar out there that is always telling me, yeah, nah, that's kind of that's kind of whack. You know, I, I would I would ask you if I will, like, what was your childhood like in your relationship with your parents? Because for me growing up and I have the same thing that you explained, that feeling, is this enough? Uh, finding flaws in myself. I found that when I was a kid, I wasn't validated a lot. And I wanted that, you know? So I used to internalize that. Like, why does my friend who doesn't get good grades and who's in more trouble than me gets more love, more gifts, more acceptance, more protection from his people? I got straight A's. I don't get that, you know? Mm. So I always felt like not having that in my formative years, that validation, that love, that security, it affects me now. So for me, like, you know, going through therapy and going all the way back and then some of the things in Chicago, you know, homogenous areas can be very brutal. The reason I like diverse schools is because people kind of soften and they're more tolerant when they're around. If they can get along, they're around different groups. There's a tolerance for difference. But I feel like in homogenous places, people can be when you're a little different, you can get punished for it. And, you know, my name was Muhammad Bilal. I was the only Muslim kid with a funny name, and I wasn't embraced then. You know, Wesley Snipes made dark cool, so I was kind of too dark. And I'm not even that dark today now. I wish I was darker now, right? (laughs) You know what I'm saying? So, like, all of that stuff, like, the way I look at myself, even though people want me to say, oh, you're handsome, I still kind of, those formative years, brother, are really important. Because, like, the picture, the self-perception you have as a kid a lot of that stuff stays with you. And I'm, I'm speaking Ooh. for myself and others I talk to as a grown yeah. man. So that's why I was curious. Like, do you feel like that started, yeah. you know? And even the image stuff, the images we see, even mm. within our own community, what's attractive, right? We're more mm. open now. But if you grew up in the 80s and 90s, yeah, yeah. it was the Al B. Shore looking dude who was <laughs> <laughs> not a locks of cool. That wasn't cool in the beginning of the 80s and 90s. You know what I mean? Oh, so there's some shifts. Yeah. So even though things have shifted, we still had those scars of stuff we was told when we were very sensitive mm. before oh, we knew man. how to put the wall up, before we know how to put that wall up. So, yeah. oh, you know, man. so even when somebody compliments me, brother, I deflect. Ah, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm all right. Anyway, what's going on? Let's get to the. Mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was. Yeah, yeah. No, y'all did a good job. I don't I don't don't give me that because part of yeah. me feels from my childhood. I don't deserve it. Yeah. Yeah. So that's oh, why man. I was curious. Like, I don't know which if you was willing or you want to. You know, talk about your experience on where you think that that stems from. You know, yeah. Well, you you named it, and that's and that's a definitely. Um, I went back to this little ceremony that I tried to put together a couple of episodes ago, and I talked about when I was in middle school. I was in middle school, I was getting bullied, uh, mm. and I think that community was brutal, and it was that was never enough. My, my father died before I was born, so my mom raised me, and like I was the man of the house at seven. Right. So wow. at seven years old, I'm responsible for my helping my siblings. I was responsible 
early. Like I, I was I was raising kids. I didn't even know how to make kids. You know what I'm saying? I didn't, it was I, I knew how to take formula, diapers, what like homework, like everything. I was a but when I got to school, there's no respect for the fact that you take care of people. There's no, uh, there's none, none of that. And even my mom, I know she loved me, but it, there was not like in my house. Hi, how was your day? I love right. you so much. Right. You, you you may hear it on your birthday. You may hear it on some special occasion. There ain't just a whole lot of I love yous running around the house. Mm. And I think that I wanted it. I was I all the after school specials. People said I love you often, and I think I right. was hoping for some of that, right? Like, and it was, you know, it was a show. But I, like, man, why don't she? Why don't why why do I never get credit for all the hard work? And and I and I I went from being a bad student to a, a really exceptional student, right? And I think it was, I think that sometimes, and and the work I do with students, which I think is why has been so effective in the students we get to work with, is because I know what it feels like to not be seen. Right. Like, and so when I talk to kids and I ask them how you're doing, and they say I'm fine, I usually say, "Tell me about fine. What's fine?" Right. And right. knowing that that word is just a cover up, you know, it's and a cover for so many other words. That's so powerful because I've taught in schools in Bed Stuy, in the Bronx, Chicago, Bridgeport, Camden, New Jersey, Newark. You know, I've been an administrator and both a, a teacher in those areas. And students who had attacked people, I've never had a student attack me, yeah. and people who would want to. Yeah. I think what used to disarm them when I used to tell them, I know what you're going through. Yeah. I want to help you. Yeah. This is what I went through. Yeah. You understand? And even you know, a lot of people, thank God, didn't go through the stuff I went through. <laughs> yeah. You shouldn't have to go through all that to connect with these kids, but right. with the students, but young men and women. But being able to see them and what they're going through and acknowledging it and still encouraging them and showing them that you accept them and you understand and you're there yeah. for them goes a long way. Yeah. So usually yeah. I could say things to kids somebody else couldn't say because they knew I cared. And that's the thing <laughs> that's, that's lacking. If you don't, it's almost like Frankenstein. If you're going to treat me like this and you're not going to give me that love and see me and acknowledge me, I'm going to be the monster you want me to be. Yeah. Kind of like you yeah. were saying what's going on in Oakland. This is... Yeah. I'm going to be with y'all. This is how y'all treat me. Let me show you. Yeah. Let me you know? show you. I don't even want love no more. Do to me what y'all know y'all going to do to me. This is this is what I know. Yeah. So um, I, I really yeah. think we need a, a overhaul of mental health, man. Billions. Yeah. Especially yeah. in my city. I'm in New York. Yeah. Somebody got stabbed randomly in the mm. Bronx. It was like somebody got cut randomly in the Bronx. Two people got stabbed in Harlem. Just random. Oh, my God. Random. Mental health, you know? And, and I say that to say about the kids, because a lot of these kids, if they don't get that in those formative years and they don't get nurtured, and some schools are not paying attention to that, especially right. when you were in school and when I was in school. That's right. I, I, I'm glad we talk about wraparound services and getting kids therapy and yeah. focusing on their social emotional learning. Because for yeah. a long time, there was no child services coming home. Your mother came up and smacked you. You just got smacked. <laughs> Keep writing, y'all. You know what I mean? Like, don't don't pay attention over there. They ain't got right. nothing to do with you. A lot you of like, that is with us. It's with us. Yeah. And and these kids, yeah. like it, that, has to be acknowledged. <laughs> and that's one thing I think that's missing in schools too. Yeah. And we talk about our childhoods. You got to address the whole child. If yeah. you don't address the whole child, you can't educate none of the child. That's right. Because until that's you right. deal with the fact that the kid is hungry, that the kid yeah. is seeing mom get abused, until yeah. that's addressed, nobody's yeah. trying to give a damn, pardon my French, about the French mm -hmm. Revolution, pun intended. Yeah, yeah. Make the, How does that matter to me when, you know, you mad I'm late? It took me mm. an hour to find a strategic way. That's why I'm strategic, right? Because I had to do this as a kid. It might take me an hour to get to school without getting shot. Yeah. It's like a video game. It's like gangs all over who, you know, so you're going to come at me and put me out of class when you don't even know what I went through to get here. That's right. Just you be know? happy I'm here. Just be right. happy I'm here. There's a um a, a video, man, and when you said that, just a couple of things just stood out. When you talked about this, the basic needs, the food, water, shelter, like the, the basic needs. And if shelter is unstable, now, now maybe you have a roof 
and you have a bed, but maybe what's happening in the shelter is not safe, right? So right. people think something like, oh, you have a house, why are you worried? <laughs> well, it's what's happening in that house that could be creating much more tra- traumatic situations. Uh, there's a book um, Oprah and another and a doctor wrote. It was it was called What Happened to You? Like, right. you know, we normally say, what's wrong with you? Like, what's wrong with you? What's wrong with you, kid? Why are you acting like a... like? But not we, we rarely ask what happened to you. What happened to you that caused you to be so angry? What happened to you that caused you to not believe in the future? What, what happened right. to you that causes you not to realize that you are special? And I think that right. that's what we need so much of today. And I think that's the work. And, you know, I'm really, first of all, I'm going to tell you that I'm super excited to finally have this connection with you. And I think hopefully this is just the beginning. And, you know, we, we, California put aside $4.5 billion for youth wellness. Now the challenge with that money that put aside is who is going to get the big junks of it. Right. That's in Oakland. That's in uh, California. The the governor put it there. For the whole state. Yeah. Okay. The whole state. And what we know is that oftentimes these big nonprofits get a big chunk of this money because they got big staffs, they got million dollar, they got they're hundred years old, and they end up getting the big percentage of money. And the grassroots organization that are are doing work on the ground. How how can I really compete with an organization that has a hundred year history? Because no one has ever heard of my organization, right? Like that's right, a right. it's a different kind of. I mean, I think we right. do just as good, but we can't compete in that volume that they can talk and, about. And right? often, what they'll come up with will be kind of McDonald's, <laughs> if you will. You know, one size fits all. But yep, you know, is it going to tailor? Is it going to be tailored towards that community? That's right. That's like right. Like people who are from that community, like yourself. Who can come yeah. up with a plan and come to something that will be come up with something that will really address the needs, the specific needs of this community That's and right. these students. So, yeah, I'm with you on that. I hope it does get allocated to people in a community who understand right. the community and the specific unique needs of the, the, uh, the community. That's right. And who don't have a fancy grant writer to write a, 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 a mini book to tell you what they're going to do. Right. But they can they can tell you what they're going to do. Right. Right. I think right. that's what we need. And you know, you know, I, I would love to figure out, you know, how we if there's a way and I think I'm making some connections right now to bring this workshop to New York again. I would love to come do that. And I would love as you're, you know, getting ready for the launch to find a way that our well, work. You know, however, and, and, we, and that's interesting because like. Even, you know, like I said, my background's in education, so I love doing anything that helps schools. And now I'm an education consultant, too, nice, right? Nice, And And the goal of this film is to not just get on Netflix, but I would love it to be on Netflix. But the main Let's goal go. is to really go in those spaces to talk yeah. to young men, right? Women, too, because they're affected yeah. by this, too. They're dating the young men, right? For the mm-hmm. most part, right? And yeah. Or even if they're not dating men, and let's say they're LGBT. Yeah. Somebody at home, there's a man at home in that life who's going right. through these mental health issues. That's right. You know, even if he's not black, right? So I want to use this this film as a conversation piece to get people Beautiful. talking and changing the way they look at therapy and mental health. And th- my film does this too. Where do these ideas stem from? That's what we need to start talking about. Because mm-hmm. a lot mm-hmm. of the stuff is generational, it's traditional. This is what we was told. And it goes all the way back to a time when we didn't have no choice but to pray and be strong. Slavery and civil rights, right? That's right. That's, that's, right. that's what we had to do to survive. Be strong. That's right. that's right. Hold your composure. Hold it in. Even though back right. there, I'm sure there was cases of domestic violence and alcoholism because you need mm-hmm. some outlet for that, right? But that's now right. today, we don't have that. We that's can right. go to a therapist. We don't have yeah. that pressure not to go to a therapist and to act a certain way. So I love mm. there's people like you, there's there's people like me, and these conversations are being had, yeah. and there's being films made about it. But I still think we have a long way to go with our youth. If you look at what yeah. they're doing, yeah. and how I feel things are getting worse. Yeah. Right. Because when I was in school, it was a gang problem. Right. There was gangs. Now it's not. You don't even have to be in a gang, brother. It could be. I don't like you. I'm gonna come shoot the school up. Yeah. yeah. And back in the day, it used to be something that primarily white boys would do, like Columbine. Not so much anymore. Even a shooting in New York that mm. happened in a train, that was a brother. Man. You know? So this mental health thing, man, it's... Mm. it, And I feel like it's gotten worse in New York City and yeah. across the country since COVID. 
since the pandemic. Yeah. And I think, yeah, a lot of our young men, I tell them they're walking around like landmines. Like they're mm-hmm. bottle, they're bottling it up. They're like, they're like IEDs. Somebody bumps into them, looks at them wrong, steps on their foot, and all of a sudden they've exploded. They don't even know how, when, why. And it's happened. The person doesn't even know why, when, how, right? Like what just happened what? here? I think a lot of that is PTSD. Like if you read on it, yeah. You people respond three ways mm. with PTSD usually. Fight, flight, freeze. Mm. A lot of our young men fight. You know, mm-hmm. so a lot of that's stuff right. that's going on when they're getting triggered, you don't know what is going on at home. And let's say the teacher, you're standing over this young man because a lot of adults <laughs> lack emotional intelligence. Some of us are born with it. Yeah. Me, I can usually read like something's not right. Like, let me watch how I. <laughs> you got that student who just kind of maybe I should stay back and just talk to him after class. But you have some people and I've seen this like. Yep. We're looking at the footage. Did you not see him tell you to leave him alone? So you're going to walk up to him and snatch his hat off and he, you know, now you're fighting a student. So, yep. Yep. I mean, we're one, to, to your point, I, I feel like we're one trigger away from yeah. having an episode. Yeah. Because with that PTSD, some people think if I'm fighting, I don't have it. No, that's, a, that's one of the response. Fight. That's right. Flight. Or freeze. Freeze. You know? And I think a lot of these young men, the one that they think makes them look strong is fighting. That's right. But I think that's a trauma response, too. That's a PTSD response. And I used to have that one, too. Like, I'd be ready to... Man. Hot head. Yeah. Right. Right. And you see it. You see it. You see it with a lot of us. Uh, Not just the kids. (laughs) You see a lot of brothers just agitated. Our women, too. And not just black. We see it in other races. They're agitated and heated. That's right. and now, careful. and now on the road, people are losing it. Losing it. I mean, they, they've they've lost it for a long time. But you imagine people are their 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 fuse is so short. Their fuse, right. they're just popping off at this at what seems to be the smallest thing. But maybe it was twenty other things before that. Right. But but this right. one little thing was the, the 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 catalyst. Right. It was the thing that said, "Oh, now I'm not taking no more. I don't even know this person." And it can happen against people we actually don't know, or it can happen against people that we actually love. Right. Or they love us. Right. right? Right, and so I think that that's part of our work, and I, and, I, and I'm really excited. I, I really, I'm letting you know now. I want to tell you that I, this is just the beginning, and I and I I'm glad that you made you had time today for us to get this conversation, and just know that like ever forward, as much as we can support whatever coast, all the whole country, we want to do this work. So I, you know, we'll keep elevating your work. And is there anything else you want to say before we close out? I want to make I mean, sure I respect your that- time. I yeah. would just say I want to build a following. Um, yeah. Bilal World Entertainment, follow on I, on IG, and then the Blue Cave, the Blue underscore, the underscore, Blue underscore, Cave underscore. Um, okay. Because I want to really build a following so I can start going to other cities and having these conversations and these events and reaching yeah. our children throughout, especially the youth. So when you talk about, you know, what Governor Newsom did, like we need to be working together because there's a lot of talent across the nation where That's we right. could work together and get some of this grant money and really help our children. Whether right. it's an event where we're going to show a film and have a yeah. panel discussion. and Because first we got to get the people, and this is why I like film, because it's transformative. Yeah. Film is a transformative tool. So yeah. even if you get the grant money, and this happens a lot, I've seen it working in schools 20 years. You got the grant money, you got the service, nobody shows up. Yeah. Why didn't they show up, brother? I tell you why they didn't show up, because you have not transformed their thinking. They right. don't think it's important. They right. don't want that. They ain't got time for that. So the yeah. thing I like about film is everybody loves a damn film. Everybody mm. loves a movie. I don't <laughs> care how tough you, you love a movie. Whether it's paid in full or, you know, the West Side Story, you love yeah. a movie. Avatar, Black Panther, Black Panther. You, you love a movie. So the yeah. thing I like about movies, people are fixated. They're yeah. being transformed to, you know, they're being um, transported somewhere. Yeah. And it's a good, while you got their attention, it's a good opportunity to transform the way they see something. Right. So one of the things I want to do with films is work with educators and, and therapists, especially yeah. in the black community, to use the film to have those events, to get people to come out. People will come out to a film. Okay. And then after they see the film, it's like, here's some resources. So I think film really helps with transforming the mindset so people will actually attend the sessions, the therapy, whatever you have that this grant money is being used for. Because a lot of times money is spent 
And a lot of us, we just don't take advantage of it because we're not ready for that or we don't, I ain't got time for that. That old man, feelings and feelings. What is that? <laughs> you know what I mean? So we got to transform the way they view it in order That's to get right. them to come out and, you know, take advantage of this 4.5, whatever billion dollars that Governor That's Newsom right. just, uh, we're going to go out and use it. You know, let's go. Let's go. Well, look, I, I want to like let once it's ready, like I want to find a way to bring you here and let's do something let's here do in Oakland. And let's, um, you know, our young men, we are trying to like provide a space for them to continue having those conversations. And we will tag all of those in the in the show notes. Mm-hmm. And uh, I share with, with a bunch of organizations today uh, your campaign and I'm and I'll keep sharing it because I want to. This is the work that we need to be doing. And I think it's so critical yeah. right now. So, brother. Muhammad, thank you for being here today. Thank you for being on the Taking Off the Mask podcast. Thanks for taking off your mask with me. Um, I'm looking forward to our next connection. For sure, man. Thank you, and thanks for having me. Man, absolutely, brother. Folks, look, if you want to make a mask, you know, Brother Muhammad and I, uh, we shared our mask here publicly together. But you can do yours anonymously. You don't have to do it in public. Like, you can go to millionmask.org, and um, we'll have all the... um, resources that he shared in the show notes so you can follow um, um, Bilal World. Say say the, say, the, say the name of the uh, site again. Bilal World Entertainment. That's my Great. IG. Fantastic. Bilal World Entertainment. One, and one the blue long cave. word. And the yeah. blue cave. What underscores after each word. Yep. We'll, we'll have the links in there. We'll put the links in there and uh, we'll be tagging it as we post this out today. Take care, folks. Be well. Taking Off The Mask podcast is produced by Ryan Louie. Graphics are by Kelly Wong. And a special thanks to the team at Ever Forward, Vanessa Cortez and Choque Allen Alvarez. We'd like to thank everyone who's been a part of the creation of this podcast as we cross the 100th episode milestone and begin the work to the next 100. We hope that everyone who's been a part knows that they're a part of the Taking Off The Mask family. And we look forward to you being a part of it as well. If you like what you heard today, please subscribe, write a five-star review, and share as we look forward to continuing to have conversations that matter. Stay tuned for the relaunch of the Million Mask Movement on 11-11-22. That's November 11th of 2022. There's a math problem in there. You can find out more by visiting everforwardclub.org and following us on social media. Take care. We'll see you soon.